a very good morning to you. Well done. At least someone's paying attention. Very good morning to you. It's great to see you all here this morning. If you're new or visiting, you're very, very welcome. We'd love, as Kate said, to connect with you, connect you to either this part of the body of Christ or another part of the body of Christ, wherever it is that God is calling you to. So uh, do go and say hello to Kerry um, on the welcome team. She's at the back there in the bright blue t-shirt. Or uh, we'd love to connect you with all that's kind of going on um, in the church. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Which says this, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each one of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Over the summer, if you've been around, we've been sort of reflecting on why the church matters. And as we start the autumn term, we're going to do a series looking at what it is really the, the church community has been uh, called to be by God. And we're going to do that by looking at the one another phrases uh, from the New Testament. Because when it comes to the church, and specifically in our context when it comes to this church, some of the questions that we might ask ourselves are, um, 
who are we as a church? What, you know, what's it like? You could be here uh, for the first time. You, know, you might be asking, what's it like to be part of this church? What does it mean to be part of this church? Effectively, what's, what's the culture, if you like, for want of a better word? What's the culture of the church? As I say, you could be here for the first time. You could have been coming along for the last uh, few weeks. Uh, possible that, I'm not sure anyone fits this category, but um, some of you may have been here for 35 years. We celebrate church's 35th birthday today. Um, yeah. But however long you've been here, three minutes, three weeks, or 35 years, uh, some of the questions we will ask ourselves will be things like, you know, I wonder what this church is like, really. Um, I wonder what's important to this group of people, this body of Christ. Now, each church is going to be distinct uh, in some way or another, and that's going to be based on things like its location or its history, its demographics, its language, or whatever. There could be all kinds of different reasons. But the Bible suggests that there are certain things, there's a certain culture if you like, that should really be consistent from one church to another, irrespective of any other factors that might make that expression of the body of Christ unique. In other words, when it comes to the church, we really should know, we really ought to know what to expect based on the things that the Bible teaches. And so if that's true, what are some of those uh, biblical values? What are those biblical behaviors and expectations that are supposed to um, define the culture of the church. And I can't think of a better way for us to understand God's intentions for what his church is called to be and what sets his church and his people apart from everything else in the world than from the one another's of the scriptures. And here's what I mean by the one another's. In the New Testament, a hundred times in uh, 94 different verses, I believe, you find this particular Greek word, alalon, something like that. Greek word, alalon, and that means uh, one another, each other, reciprocally. And in 59 times of those 100, that word is used within the context of how the church, how uh, the people who make up the church are to respond, how they're to treat uh, one another, how they're to relate to one another. In other words, the, the one another's of the New Testament describe those things that distinguish and define the culture of the church. So this morning, we've got a very short space of time, I want to give us a very broad overview of uh, these 59 one another's and how they help us and they might help us think through how God's people are called to engage and exist in relation to one another and in relation to the world in which we find ourselves. So here they are, the 59 one another's. So 15 out of the 59 times you have love uh, one another, uh, four times greet one another, three times encourage one another. These all um, appear at least twice. Bear with one another, live in harmony with one another, submit to one another, be members of one another, serve one another, build up one another, forgive one another. Uh, the following we find at least once, be at peace with one another, wash one another's feet, be devoted to one another, honor one another, accept one another, wait for one another, have equal concern for each other, have fellowship with one another, carry each other's burdens, be kind, compassionate 
to one another. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Instruct one another. Teach one another. Consider one another as better than yourself. Spur on one another towards love and good deeds. Do what is good for each other. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for one another. Offer hospitality to one another. Now, if you're counting, uh, that's actually, I think, uh, 51 one another's because there are actually eight more. But the remaining eight are specific one another's that we are not to do to one another. Because, you know, in a church of this size, uh, I mean in a church of any size, I think, where there's more than two or people, three people gathered together, there's bound to be um, some degree of disagreement. But in a room full of people this size, with people from all kinds of uh, different backgrounds and different opinions, I've heard it said that some of you hold different opinions about different things. I, I've yet to see it for myself, but I've heard it rumored. Um, but there's going to be some disagreement from time to time. There's going to be conflict, you know, but conflicts and disagreement, that's okay. That's not the end of the world. Disagreement isn't the same thing, doesn't have to be the same thing as disunity. We can disagree about a lot of things, but when we disagree, when we have conflicts, and it is a case of when rather than if, the Bible says that there are very distinct ways that we're to work through our conflicts in a way that's distinctively Christian. And so here are the eight uh, do not do's. Don't grumble against each other. That comes twice. Uh, do not, um, I love this one, do not bite, consume, or devour one another. Um, I'm not going to say any more about that. So no nibbling in the pews. Some of you need to sit further apart. We need to move the chairs further apart. Um, let us not become conceited, provoking one another. Let us not envy one another. Do not slander one another. Do not lie to each other. Stop passing judgment on one another. Okay. <laughs> we'll just, that, that'll do. 59 one another's in the New Testament. So here we have um, what we've got here really in Romans 12. It is probably one of the greatest discourses in the Bible um, for not only why we one another, but also how we one another. In uh, verse 1, Paul writes this. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, you all know this, but wherever we see the word therefore, one of the questions that we should be asking is, you know, what's it there for? And meaning, uh, there must be something that's come before it, and indeed there'll be something that probably comes after it. And as easy it is, as it is, um, we don't want to take the Bible out of its proper context. And so we have to ask ourselves, why is this verse there? What's come before it? And as I said, indeed, what comes after it? And biblical scholars over hundreds of years have suggested that this might be one of the biggest therefores in all of the Bible. And so if that's the case, we really need to understand what it is that comes before. Now, the challenge is, what comes before is Romans chapters 1 to 11. Now, at Romans, Romans 12, 1, basically it's sort of like a hinge in Paul's thinking uh, between Romans chapters 1 to 11 and then uh, what comes after. And Romans chapters 1 to 11, they're primarily focused on one 
topic, and that's essentially the mercy of God. Uh, Romans was written by the Apostle Paul around 57 AD. It was, it was written to some of the first uh, Christians who found themselves at the epicenter of the greatest global power at the time, Rome. And one of the unique characteristics of this um, particular letter is that it, it contains really the, the most comprehensive picture, really in all of the scriptures, of the gospel of Jesus Christ and God's redemptive plan. It's probably Paul's sort of fullest expression of his uh, theology, uh, captured anywhere in the New Testament. It's, it's dense, it's thick, it's got some really kind of lofty vocabulary. The truth is sometimes it's pretty intimidating. But just like every other book in the Bible, Romans was written so that we could understand God's grace, we could understand God's redemption, we could understand his gospel, we could understand his love. Now, I've heard it said that Martin Lloyd-Jones took 23 years to preach through Romans. So settle in. Uh, I'm going to try and summarize the first 11 chapters of Romans in about three minutes, um, which, of course, is, is uh, not really possible. But I, I think it, it's important for us to try at least and understand and paint a, a bit of a picture as to what we're looking at here in, um, in, in Romans chapter 12. So um, Romans 1 to 11, very briefly. So Romans starts off with Romans, surprisingly, chapter 1, <laughs> 1, 2, and 3. And essentially, they're focused, those three chapters are focused on the issue of sin and the impact of sin on the entire uh, created realm. As our creator God has created us to worship him, but because of sin, we've redirected our worship, and so instead of worshiping the creator, we worship the created. We, um, we, we make, and we continue to make, uh, as many false idols as we possibly can, and worship those things, and worship at the altar of those things, instead of worshiping God. And so, because of that sin, the reality is there's absolutely nothing that you and I can do to change our circumstances. There's nothing we can do to change our standing uh, before God. You know, we might wake up one day and decide to sort out our lives and clean up our lives. And do you know what? I'm going to go start going to church every day or every Sunday. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to pray every moment. I'm going to volunteer in the local community and all those sorts of things. But the truth is, none of those things, essentially nothing that we can do, none of our works can ever or will ever put us in a right relationship and right standing with God. In other words, no matter how hard we try, and many of us try very, 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 very hard, we can't save ourselves. Uh, Romans uh, 3.23 sums it up pretty well. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But what comes in the verse right after that is something that we often overlook because in verse 24 it says, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And so in uh, chapters 4 and 5 of Romans, Paul starts talking about the good news, uh, that it's in light of the good news 
by our faith in Jesus alone and not in our works, that we, we can have peace with God. And then he says these famous words in Romans um, 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And what that means is that while we were still far from God, you know, what did, what did God do? God came looking for us before we ever started looking for him, before we even knew how desperate we were, God did something about your situation, God did something about my situation, because as we were singing that this morning, God is that good. And so Paul moves on to Romans uh, chapter 6 and 7, where in light of this mercy and grace, he starts asking these rhetorical questions like, okay, then what are we to do? How are we supposed to respond? What should we say then? Should we carry on sinning that grace might abound? Which the answer he says that is no, absolutely not. Of course not. And so um, what he's effectively saying is he, the Christian life isn't just one that's difficult to live. He's saying the Christian life is impossible to live without the supernatural intervention of God in our life through the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit. And so, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we no longer live by the flesh, but we live by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then Paul moves into chapter 7, and he starts having this kind of slightly funny conversation with himself, where he starts saying, well, you know, I want to do what's right, I want to do the right thing, but I always end up doing the wrong thing. And by the end of it, he says, what a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And then right as the tension mounts, and you're kind of like, well, what are we all going to do about this? Paul says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. And then um, Paul sort of breaks the whole thing open in chapter, um, in Romans 8, verse 1, where he says, therefore, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation whatsoever. And there are words that echo the words of Jesus himself in John chapter 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but he sent his son into the world to save the world. God didn't come to condemn us. God came to save us. And that is the good news. So God sends his spirit for us to live by, not only that we might um, live a life that's pleasing to him and live life in all of its fullness and abundance as Jesus promised, but he gives us his spirit to live by to assure us that we are his. And then Paul goes on uh, to the end of Romans 8 saying, nothing, again we sang it this morning, nothing can separate us from the love of God, neither life nor death, neither angels or demons, neither heights nor depths, nor powers or principalities or anything else in all of creation shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, not even death, can separate you from the love of God. And all of this is the mercy of God. And then in uh, chapters 9, 10, and 11, tend to be, they tend to be the sort of more, some of the more controversial ones in terms of theological debate. I'm not going to get into any of that unless I've got another 22 and a half years. But let me just say that what I think Paul is doing here is, is casting this huge vision of God's redemptive plans and purposes throughout history, which involves calling a people to himself, and as he calls the people to himself, he fills them with his Holy Spirit. And then they become um, 
his agents of salvation in the world, basically, the center of which in the gospel is and was his uh, one and only son, Jesus. Um, so that whoever confesses Jesus with their mouth and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead, they will be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord by putting their faith and their trust in Jesus will be saved. And that's in a slightly more than three minutes, Romans chapters 1 to 11. Okay, so by the time we get to Romans chapter 12, and Paul says, okay, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, we might say to ourselves, well, you know, what, what mercy? And the answer is, it's this mercy, the mercy of chapters 1 to 11 that declares that you and I are justified. We are made right before God. Our standing before God has been sorted um, because of grace alone, by faith alone, because of Jesus alone. That's the gospel. That's the good news. It's by grace alone. It's through faith alone, because of Jesus alone. And God is merciful. It's not just, you know, what he does. It's who he is. God is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding and steadfast in love and faithfulness. God is merciful, and it's the mercy of God that is meant to drive us. It's meant to uh, impact and influence everything that we do and everything that we are. And so as soon as we get to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we have to understand that we can't read this verse without understanding everything that's come before it. And everything that's come before it is God's mercy. Paul says, I urge you, I appeal to you, I beseech you, I plead with you, whatever translation you're looking at, in view of God's mercy, here's what you need to do. Two quick things um, as we get into Romans chapter 12. Two things, quick things I believe the scripture is suggesting what it is that we're supposed to do in light of God's mercy. And first, the first thing we're to do, I think, is, is exalt God by worshipping. We exalt God's mercy by worshipping. Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, why is it? Why do we gather to worship God? Why have we just done what we've just done? You know, what's the point of it all? You know, it's certainly not to get anything, or to gain anything from God. Quite simply, we worship God in response to his mercy. We worship God because he is worthy of our worship. How do we worship? Well, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Uh, and the Greek word here for body is soma, and a soma essentially means the entire being, it's body, mind, spirit. It's all of ourselves. We offer our whole being to God, and that means every aspect of our lives in surrender to God. Not because we have to, but because we long to. Not because of what we've done, but because of what God has done for us. That's our true and proper worship. And depending on the translation you're looking at, you might say a couple of different phrases like spiritual worship or reasonable service. This is your reasonable service, which essentially has, it carries this idea of logical or rational with it. And one commentary, I love the way it explains it, it says, it says that it would only seem right 
logical, rational, or reasonable in view of God's mercy that I should totally commit and surrender my life to God. That would just seem to be the least, the very least, that I can do. The only rational response to Christ giving all of himself for me is for me to give all of myself to Christ. And that goes far beyond a couple of hours on a Sunday morning. It goes into every ordinary, general task of our lives, uh, impacts and effects, uh, how we spend our time, how we spend our energy, how we spend our money, our resources. It, It worms its way. It comes into our relationships and our work and our study and our hobbies and, 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 and. It's it's chocolate milkshake, not grapefruit. Um, Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. Um, The way the Greeks used to think is like they divide life up into like um, segments, like a grapefruit. So, you know, you'd have a little, you know, you have that little serrated spoon thing. And and so all of your life was divided into segments. So you've got kind of work over here, and then you've got, you know, faith over here and religion or whatever over here and um, relationship family over here and all the different compartments of your life. But they were all segregated and they had that funny little skin in between that, you know, you can't kind of get across, you can never get rid of. And then you'd end up chewing it and you'd be chewing it until 11 o'clock in the morning. Anyway, now you're having reference of my childhood breakfast. My parents forced us to eat grapefruit. I mean, who, who eats grapefruit? However, the Hebraic way of looking at life is not like that. It wasn't, you know, and we're very much influenced by the Greeks. It was, um, as John Muckford would always say, it's more like a chocolate milkshake. And what that is, is you just bung the stuff in. You know, you've got a bit of um, your work life and your religion and your faith and your relationship with Jesus and your relationship with your family. And it all goes in the blitzer thing, and bzzz, right? And it just all ends up mixed up together. And you can't tell where the join is. You can't tell what's ice cream and what's chocolate and what's chocolate and what's ice cream. It's all and banana and whatever else, ice or whatever it is, goes in your chocolate milkshake. It's all a mishmash, right? Uh, anyway, that's... That's how we're supposed to live our lives. As followers of Jesus, we're supposed to live with this mishmash, not the grapefruit, not the segmented thing. And we love the segmented thing. We love to say, this is my space, and I'll do what I like with it. It's my private domain. None of you or anyone has any right or access to that. Keep off the grass, right? You can have this segment, right? But the rest of the segments, that's just not biblical thinking at all. Anyway, that's all free. it's a, laying down our lives is, is, is our spiritual, it's our act of worship, the whole of our lives. And um, so we first exhort God uh, and God's mercy through our worship. And that leads us to our second point. We express God's, we express God's mercy by one anothering. We express God's mercy through how we one another. And this really is, I think, what Romans 12 is all about. It's about how we worship God by expressing God's mercy to one another. Because when we view God's mercy for what it is and its impact on our lives, we, we can't walk away and have nothing to do with the other, with one another. It, it, we just can't. It's just not an option. You know, I know sometimes some of us wish that it could just be, you know, me and God um, people are far too complicated. People are far too messy. Some of you are really, quite frankly, just far too annoying. I, however, am completely and utterly not. 
It's just the way it is. You know, but the way that God has designed things is that I need you, and I'm sorry to say, you need me. You know, we are family. You know, you've heard it said that you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. Well, like it or not, we are family. We belong to one another. We need one another. And so Paul moves into this whole idea of offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And when we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, what that implies is one life being given for another. Just as Jesus laid down his life for us, Jesus has called us to lay down our lives for one another in sacrifice. And so we move from being recipients of God's mercy to becoming agents of God's mercy. So with this in mind, uh, the rest of Romans 12 just shows us how we live out this mercy with one another in the church. How living under God's mercy now motivates and shapes and informs everything. How we relate to one another. So what I want to do, just as we end, I, I just want to simply read through the chapter again one more time. But this time, let's read it in view of God's mercy and how God has called us to live out that mercy with one another. Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We're out of time. Honestly, the reality is um, living out these one another's can sometimes be really challenging. 
the truth is, it can be pretty easy for us to come along on a Sunday, uh, find a seat, uh, sing a few songs, listen to a talk, and then leave. And, and leave without anything being asked of you, without anything being expected of you, and without having made any kind of connection. And possibly some of us might think we prefer it that way. But you know what? Um, that is so far from God's heart for his church and for our lives. God didn't intend for his church to be that way. And if we're not experiencing the one another's with a group of other people, not only are we at risk of settling for an experience of church that I believe falls far short of God's intention, um, but what eventually happens is people just drift away. They just kind of drift away. They're not connected. People aren't connected. And we've seen that very thing over the past couple of years as the impact of the pandemic has taken its toll. Wimber, John Wimber, who founded this stream of churches called The Vineyard, he always said that people come to church for many reasons and they stay for one, relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with one another. Uh, and that's one of the reasons um, small groups are such an integral part of church life. And if you're not in a small group, it's going to be really hard. It's really hard to build connection. It's really going to be hard to, to, to one another others and for others to one another you. Because, you know, whatever's going on in the culture around us and over the last few years, there have been a lot of things and there continue to be a lot of things happening in the culture around us, whether it's a global pandemic, whether it's a cost of living crisis, whether it's a period of national mourning. In the midst of it all and throughout it all, whatever it may be that we are facing as a people, we are called to be a people who continue to intentionally, as part of our sacrifice, deepen our relationship with God and deepen our relationship with one another. Because when we're not one anothering, the risk is that all we're doing is playing church. We're, ch we're checking the religion box. And that's not really what we're called to be. We're called to be the church. And, you know, that cultural shift of, of playing church or checking boxes, that's a cultural shift um, that every single one of us needs to do every single thing that we can to fight against. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. That's the end of that. Should we minister to one another? See what I did there? Right, let's do that. Let's just make some space for the Spirit of God to come. Um, we'll have the band back in a minute, I think. Give us, give us a sec two seconds. Okay, so um, if you've not been here before, this is where we create some space for us to minister to one another. Right? This is where we get to really spend a bit of time one anothering. 
right? And again, you know, we've got a little bit lack and lazy with this over the years, but we're kind of trying to fight back into that space. Um, and so we're just going to wait on the Spirit of God and see what the Spirit of God wants to do. The Spirit of God has been with us all the way through our whole morning. He was here before us and will be here after us. Um, but we want to make ourselves available because he wants to come in his goodness and his grace and his mercy. This is how he wants to um, transform our thinking, transform our minds, renew our minds, renew our bodies. And he does that for some reason. We have no idea why, but he chooses to do that through one another. 